And uh, we kind of talked about this over the past couple weeks, but um, we thought, you know, January is a month in which a lot of people are doing a lot of self-reflection, right? A lot of like introspection, maybe New Year's resolutions. Ian, our next gen pastor, shared an amazing message just about new beginnings and what that looks like. Um, but we thought, you know what, as a church, um, what do we kind of want this series in January to be about as a church? And we decided, you know, we would love at a time when every, everybody else, society as a whole is kind of focusing inwardly, we would love to have a series that focuses outward. And, and, and what does that look like? What does it look like to walk through our everyday lives with eyes that really see need around us? Um, and not just poverty, uh, maybe not just physical need, yes, but also spiritual need as well. And what does that look like? Um, and that's what this entire month of giving hope, that's what this series is going to be about. It's going to be exploring that concept of just how do we see, care, love, and how do we really invest people in people just in right in the season of life that God's put us in, in our everyday lives. Um, something that's really interesting I found over the last uh, few years is there's a lot of people that often come up to me and they're like, you know what, I really want to be involved in helping those that are in need. Um, and I want my kids to be involved and I want a family. So how, how do I do that? Like, how do I do, do I need to sell my house? Do I need to sell my belongings? And they're always immediately go to these huge extremes. Now I do believe that there are times that God calls us to huge extremes. Um, he definitely has worked that way in my family, but in my entire life, all 34 years so far, there's been less than a handful of times that God has done that. So what about all the other days of the year? We're still called to reach outwardly. We're still called to look at the need that exists around us. And so I tell people all the time, if you want to be involved in really investing and helping people, ask God to open your eyes to the everyday situations that you're put in. And when you do that, when you ask God to do that, you begin to see your routines of life very differently. And God begins to provide opportunities. Um, but we have to ask to be able to see those. And so that's what we're going to do um, today. We're going to hear two stories, uh, one from our uh, discipleship pastor, Percy Hudson, and one from um, one of our elders, John Dungy. And they're incredible stories of people in their lives doing just that, living their everyday normal lives, but seeing those that needed to be seen and needed to be cared for, and then acting on that. So, Percy, I'm going to ask you to um, go ahead and come on up. Awesome. All right, and so um, this is Percy Hudson. He's our discipleship pastor, um, but uh, Percy and his wife, Marin have been a part of Real Hope um, from the beginning, uh, and uh, just a really cool, quick story about uh, Percy and Marin. Uh, some of you know this. Some of you may not know this. Um, here's, a, here's a piece of information. Um, if you ever want to start a money-making business, don't plant a church, um, because uh, that's not where the money is. And so Percy and his wife, Marin, came to us, and uh, they said, hey, we want to be a part of Real Hope. And we're like, great. We're like forming a launch team, and, um, you know, our launch team, we had very minimal requirements, like, are you a breathing human being? Fantastic. Be on our launch team. Um, and so Percy and Marin came and said, you know, we want to be a part of Real Hope. And we're like, great. Let's get you on the launch team. And uh, they were like, no, like, we that's great. And if that's what you want us to do, we'll do that. But we want to like, we want to be on staff at Real Hope. And we're like, 
okay, um, well, we currently have like $2,000 in our church account, so I don't think that we can make that happen. Um, and uh, they said, well, we were actually thinking um, that we would fundraise our own support and our own salary. So would you want us on staff if like we fundraise ourselves?" And we're like, uh, yes, that's a phenomenal deal. So yes. And so um, Percy Marion, that's uh, how they came to be on staff and came to be a part of Real Hope and uh, just been so instrumental in shaping the culture of this church. And uh, God has used them in so many different ways. And we're so thankful to have you guys on staff. But Percy's life actually started before Real Hope. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, Percy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Because I know so many people um, don't know it, but would be so encouraged by it. And so tell us just a little bit about your life growing up and like how you came to know Christ. Sure. So um, growing up uh, from years zero to 11, um, I had a very, very large family. I think we've got a picture yeah. to toss up uh, of them. And this my family is, was mixed to begin with. My oldest siblings have the last name Benz. My older sister has the last name Williams. And we, uh, the youngest four, had the last name Stitt uh, at the time. My name wasn't always Hudson. We'll get there in a second. Um, so I grew up in a really large family, lots of brothers and sisters. This is actually a picture of us only a few years ago, just before Knox was born. If you look close, you'll see Marin somewhere up in the top left corner there. Um, so we still have a great relationship. I know all of my siblings. Um, I talk to them frequently. I was just in Dallas visiting them this past week, actually, which was really fun. Um, and so oh, I had a really large family growing up, and it had a lot of a lot of challenges initially. But uh, when I was eight, my biological father left our family, uh, which presented a whole new area of challenge because my mom didn't work, hadn't worked in a long time, uh, and didn't really know where to start. And and that kind of really put a big crack in our family that we just didn't get to repair at that time. Um, and so we had uh, times where we didn't have things like electricity or running water. I remember um, as like a nine-year-old kid uh, going to our next-door neighbor's house with five-gallon buckets. We would take two five-gallon buckets over and fill them with water so that we could do things like bathe for school. Um, and so that was kind of our life for a little while. And uh, eventually, Child Protective Services got involved with that. Uh, and when I was 11 years old, only a few days after 9-11, I was in drama class. Uh, I was a really outgoing, open uh, kid. Um, but uh, that year, uh, just a few days after 9-11, Child Protective Services got involved. And they came to our schools and picked us up, me and my three younger siblings. Um, and we were placed in temporary homes for a while. And eventually, uh, me and my younger brother, Austin, uh, were placed in one foster home, and our two youngest siblings were placed in another foster home. Um, so me and Austin were together for a while, uh, and we lived with, uh, well, we were together until I graduated high school, um, because we, we got fostered by a man named Corky Hudson. Some of you guys have met him. He's been here a few times, um, and eventually we were adopted by him. Um, and so that only took, that process took about a year and a half, um, and uh, it was it was great. It took me a long time to see kind of where that was a good thing at the time. I mean, I was a kid. I, I wanted to be with my family, uh, who I thought was my family, or who is my family. Mm -hmm. And uh, this new family wasn't really what I wanted. And so I struggled with that for a long time. And so I, of course, saw counselors and psychologists and things like that and was put on some uh, medication uh, to like antidepressants and things to help me sleep and things like that. And so one day I had made a few friends in my new school 
And uh, one day, two years later, I was eighth grade at this point, um, a friend of mine said he needed some of this medicine. So I didn't know any better. I brought some to him, and he had an allergic reaction to it. Uh, and so I knew what was going on. So I, of course, said, hey, I know what he took, what he uh, ingested. And so here's how you can help him. And that, of course, got me into a lot of trouble. Uh, and so it, it really hurt me a lot in that moment because one of the few friends that I had made, I had hurt him. Um, and I really hurt my adopted dad uh, and his trust in me, and I had really disappointed him, which really just set me back even further, it felt like, at that time. Um, thankfully, though, he didn't, like, throw in the towel. He didn't, like, okay, well, this kid's a, a lost cause. I'm very thankful for that. And he instead uh, called his sister, my aunt, who lived in Oklahoma at the time, uh, and asked me if I would like to live with her for the summer. And I uh, thought that that was not, an, like, a real question it was very much like a do you want to do this good you're doing it um, and so I went and lived with him for, with her for the summer and uh, she sent me to a youth camp uh, called Falls Creek and we've got a picture of the sign for that camp um, which was at the time the biggest Baptist camp in the world um, and and big as in like area and space uh, and so there were a lot of hills it was kind of in a hilly area of Oklahoma which I did not like um, <laughs> But we got to the Wednesday of camp. And uh, if you don't know this about me, I'm a big-time fantasy nerd. I love medieval battles. The Hobbit was my favorite book growing up. Uh, my favorite movies are, like, The Lord of the Rings. So, like, I'm big on, like, swords. And, and yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> fantasy is awesome. And that Wednesday morning, the speaker at camp brought a miniature forge on stage and hammered out a piece of steel while he was talking to make it look kind of like a, a rudimentary, like a very basic blade and the whole time he was talking about how Christ transforms us and that really caught my attention in a way that like Jesus hadn't before like I mentioned over the Thanksgiving break this year that uh, my family had received help from the church in the form of like Thanksgiving meals like I wasn't a stranger to the church right. but I didn't really like I hadn't accepted Jesus I, I didn't really see the need for him at the time I didn't see how this um, kind of man in the sky could help me or right. why he was important to me and so it was in that moment on that Wednesday morning that uh, this camp pastor really got me thinking about how my life could be affected by Jesus what kind of that transformation looks like um, and so I spent that entire day thinking through that and thinking about okay God what, what would you even transform about me what could you possibly do to help me right. um, because I still felt very helpless and yeah. um, in that process of thinking and going through that that evening I gave my life to Christ awesome. uh, finally for the first time yeah I think um, I think what I love I mean there's so many things to love about your story but I um, and a lot of heartbreak too but I think the thing that is so neat about your story of Christ um, reaching out to you is the fact that I think a lot of times we think, oh, God's like so involved in all of these other people's lives. Like he's not involved in the details of my life. And then you hear a story where it's, you know, you have this kid um, that is loving like fantasy type world, medieval stuff. And wouldn't you know that the camp speaker would use that as the illustration? Yeah. Um, because I don't know if you guys have ever tried to teach to 13 and 14 year old boys. It is hard to catch their attention. Um, and so the fact that God would use that and then that is what would bring you into hearing the gospel relationship with him, I just think is so evident that God is involved in the details of our life yeah, um, sure. and yours. And so that's really cool. Um, so I guess, um, Tell us about a time kind of in your life when you needed 
care and you felt like someone cared for you? Sure. So um, when I was in college, um, I, I felt very lonely. It was the first time that uh, my adopted dad wasn't around. Um, I had grown to trust him like he's dad to me now. Um, and so I, I had just grown to love and trust him so much. And then suddenly he wasn't there. Like I was only three and a half hours away from home, but still like it was kind of a nerve wracking experience to be away from that. Um, and so after my freshman year of college, I didn't really have a ton of plans, but I knew like I was in, in college to do ministry. And so I wanted to do something with that. I had just finished a ministry job that had lasted me for a year, but didn't end terribly well. Um, there were just some differences between me and, and that particular church that just didn't gel well together. And so I had stepped out of that and I was really like, what do I, what do I do? from here on. Um, but I had a friend who worked uh, as an intern for another church, and he invited me to come and intern with them over the summer. And I was like, cool, I'll do that. Where do I live? Because I didn't have a space to live. So the church actually reached out to um, some of their members and asked them if, hey, could you, would you be willing to uh, take in this intern for the summer? And so uh, the Eshbaugh family took me in, um, and they had three kids that were younger than I was who were just awesome. And, I mean, this family was uh, truly amazing. Um, I had, uh, like I already talked about, like I grew up in a very already, like, intermingled home, not to mention the, the brokenness that happened in my family, like, um, kind of in those early teen years and, and trying to piece all those things together. And then uh, Corky was single when he took us in. Like he was a single 66 year old man um, when he took us in. And so like I, I didn't really have a, a good picture of what family was um, or how to do that well. And, and I was very nervous about, I mean, I was, you know, 19 years old, like thinking about like, what, well, at some point I'm gonna wanna get married and have a family. So what do I do? I had no idea mm -hmm. where to even start. And so I spent that summer with the Eshbaws and, and in a time where I was really lonely and felt like the only people I had were my friends and then they had gone for the summer, I began to learn what it was like for a husband to love a wife mm -hmm. um, in a really good, excellent, godly way. Yeah. Uh, I learned what it was like to see like a, a working nuclear family that operated like how it was supposed to happen. And I had never really been in the midst of it. I'd seen that kind of on the outside looking in before, but they had invited me into that. Um, and that was just a really big, impactful thing in that time that really has helped to shape how I do and view family now. Yeah, that's awesome. So how did um, somebody caring for you kind of shape your view of God? Um, so I think I, I could point to, like, anybody in my life and say, like, hey, this person has showed me this about God. But I think the thing that most illustrates that for me is um, not really a person so much as it is a relationship. Okay. Um, so the next picture um, to toss up is of my biological dad. Uh, his name is John. He's on the left in the gray shirt. Uh, and um, two years ago, he passed away. Um, but before that, uh, when I was in college, he had come back into our lives. Um, I had already been like in contact with my biological family and had been building relationships with all of them, building all of that back up, uh, which is still a process now even. Um, and he came back in and asked my mom if she would be willing to let him share an apartment with her, not like get back together necessarily, but like could we live together to save money on rent basically. Um, and 
she said yes and called me and told me about that. And I was kind of devastated in that moment. Like, I did not want that to happen. I didn't accept that. I, I was not ready to accept him back into our lives. And I definitely wasn't ready to let him be in her life again. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just, it, it felt like so much devastation. I had put blame on him for that. Um, and so... Uh, over the next couple of years, um, I had a couple of conversations with him. He would come to some gatherings that we did, like family photos and stuff. He wouldn't take the pictures with us, but he would be there. And so we would have small conversations. And a couple of years after he came back into our lives, I was able to um, talk with him and forgive him um, and and repair that relationship. And then over the next several years, I had a lot of conversations with him about, like, he had a lot of hang-ups. He, he didn't forgive himself for what had happened. He thought we would never really accept him or forgive him. Um, and he thought, surely, if even people wouldn't forgive him, then God was didn't want to have anything to do with him anymore. And so I was able to have conversations with him um, over a course of several years of, yes, God does accept you. We accept you. We love you. We want you to be a part of what we're doing. We want you to be at Christmases. We want you to be at all this stuff. Um, and so it was in the process of rebuilding and reestablishing that relationship, not only did I get to walk with him and uh, teach him about Christ and what real godlike love is, um, I got to see him accept Christ before he passed. Um, and, but in the midst of all of that, um, that really showed me what it's like to love somebody in spite of where they're at, who they are, what they've done. And it helped me to see how God loves me when I feel unlovable. Hmm. I think that's beautiful. Um, so uh, let me ask you this. Some people, you know, they say that they have like life verses and um, stuff like that. And uh, it's a little cheesy. Talk. Yeah, it's no, it's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, what would you say for you kind of looking back over your story and even as it continues to unfold right today, um, what's kind of a passage that has been a thread throughout your life um, and is especially just meaningful to you? Sure. So a verse that I got from a friend when I was in college, a lot of things happened to me in college. I think that's pretty normal. Um, but uh, a verse that a friend gave to me was Micah 7, 8, and I think we have it to throw up. Uh, it says, do not gloat over me, O my enemy. Though I've fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Um, and that came at a really good time. A, a, he gave me that verse when I was going through this kind of reconstructive process with John. Um, but also, it, it just it brought light to a lot of things that I had been through that, you know, even in the, the moments when I was, I felt at the lowest low, I stood back up and, and God was a light in those moments. Even when I didn't know him, um, God was a light in those moments to guide me closer toward him. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's great. And I shared this with you before, but I think you continue to be in a phenomenal illustration of that verse. Um, you know, I think you're one of the few people that I've met in my life that you really do like. I mean, you you take every opportunity to learn from something, even if it's hard, and get back up and say, okay, God, what can you teach me through this? How can I keep moving forward through this? And um, I think that that's such an incredible um, inspiration and encouragement uh, because I think the default for people that would have gone through so much of what you've gone through and have a story like yours would be kind of bitterness towards God and to kind of sit in that for a while. Um, And that's not what you've done and that's not what you continue to do. And so I just, you should be very proud of that. I think that that's an amazing, you're an amazing illustration of this verse. Um, So obviously like your story is 
really inspiring. It's amazing to see how God worked and all of that. But I know that you would not want us to all just walk away and be like, wow, I didn't know that about Percy. What a great story. Um, and just kind of get in our cars and go about with our life. You want God to use it. So what would you want the lesson for us to be um, from this? And what would you want us to walk away with? And um, just some things that maybe we can see in our everyday life that we can learn from your story. Sure. So I think there are a couple of things that, that um, that I've walked away with that I would that I hope that everybody gets to walk away with from my story and that's uh, uh, first that regardless of how long it's been or how bad you think it is redemption is available um, always there's nothing that is too far out like oh I did this 15 years ago God can't redeem it yes he can and he will um, but also I, I was watching TV recently uh, and I I uh, saw a conversation between a couple of characters uh, in the show uh, where they were talking about how painful it can be to be different uh, and to have a different like outlook or perspective or story from somebody else. And uh, the other character said, wear that like armor. Um, and that really got me thinking about this and, and how the things that I've seen God do, and a lot of it is through like retrospect and, and things like that, but the things that I've seen God do in my life through these situations and, and the way that I've seen him redeem stuff, like you can take that stuff and the stories that you have um, and, and wear them like armor to remind you of who God is and to protect you from um, other things that may make you doubt yourself or doubt who God is or doubt that he's actively helping you or, or in your life. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. Um, you guys give Percy a round of applause. It's, um, it takes a lot of vulnerability, regardless of what your story is, to sit on a stage and share it um, with people. And so um, thank you for doing that. Um, and uh, I hope that what he talked about, we are able to walk away with. I hope another thing that we're able to walk away with is just the power of your story, um, that God can use it um, in amazing ways, even people that maybe don't have a story exactly like yours. My story is not exactly like um, Percy's, but just those two principles that you just talked about, um, that God can redeem anything and that he can use our story and he can use our past things. I mean, those are things I need to be reminded of as well. Um, and so thank you so much for sharing that um, with us. Uh, we're going to have uh, – <clears throat> One more person for you guys to hear from. Um, Ryan and uh, John Dungy are going to come up. Uh, John is one of the elders um, here at Real Hope. And so I'm going to let Ryan um, introduce him and you guys hear a little bit from him. All right. Good morning. I hope your new year is off to a good start. Um, I haven't been uh, here with y'all since Christmas Eve. And so I have missed y'all. It's good to see you. And I've been really looking forward to this morning. Percy, thank you for sharing your story. It's really um, what a testament to God's grace and his love, the way he's worked in your life. So thank you for, for sharing that with us. Uh, this is John Dungy. Many of you know him. Um, he is uh, just an integral part of our church family, um, serves in so many ways uh, visibly here on Sunday. Um, some of you may not know he is also an elder, and so he serves uh, in a behind-the-scenes role too and just providing um, kind of overall leadership to the church. Um, he's a dear friend of mine and our staff, and, um, and we love him. And I'm going to read something that he didn't know I was going to read before today. Um, so <laughs> the uh, first contact that he had with Real Hope was an email that he sent to me. I'd never met him. And um, we launched this church uh, in the fall of 2016, 
September 11th it was, 2016. And on September 16th, so five days after we launched, I get this email from someone named John who I'd never met before. And Jenny alluded to this earlier. When you're starting a brand new church, there's a lot of uh, anxiety and wondering, like, is anybody going to go to this thing? Like, how is this going to work? And you're, you're praying and saying, Lord, you know, the people that you want to be a part of our church family, would you send them to our church? Would you send us leaders? Would you send us people who have a shared vision for our community, who love people, who love the Lord? Um, Send us people we've never even met. I remember praying that many times, like, God, you know who's going to go to this church. I don't know yet, uh, and I can't wait to meet them. Well, John was one of those people, and so he sent me this email five days after we launched, and it was so encouraging. I'm going to read it. Uh, I went back and looked it up this week. It says, hello, Ryan. Congratulations. You launched a church in my neighborhood. My name is John Dungy. I've lived here for about nine years with my family. I've served in many different ministry positions with a passion in training and development and evangelism. I also work full-time in the corporate sector. I would love to talk to you about a church transition I've been feeling and praying through. Would you be kind enough and set aside 21 minutes of your time? And I remember thinking... That is a really specific amount of time. He has something he wants to say. He knows how long it's going to take. Would you be kind enough to set aside 21 minutes of your time so we can have a heart-to-heart conversation? The agenda would be, and then there was a bullet-pointed list, the vision you have for the community, how I could possibly serve with your team in what the Lord is doing, and then any other business. Pastor Ryan, it's not very clear yet what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do, but I've felt a very strong prompting when I heard about Real Hope, and I'm confident our meeting will clarify some of that. If you call me, we can set up a time and chat over Starbucks. I won't waste your time. Congratulations again, and I hope to talk to you soon. John. (laughs) And we did. I I jumped on that. Hey, (laughs) thanks for your email. Let's get coffee. Are you available like now? Let's go do it. Um... But, you know, just what a a moment of God's grace uh, to me, to our church family, that he would move John uh, to reach out that way, and then his family as well, uh, to come and be such an integral part of our church life. So thank you for being willing today to share thank your story. You, thank you. That's amazing. Thank you so much. So uh, you do have an amazing story. Um, and so I want to just ask you kind of an open-ended question, sort of like with Percy. Just tell us about your life growing up and how you came to know Christ. Well, thank you, Pastor Ryan. That, that was quite a surprise. But uh, <clears throat> again, thank you so much, the leadership of this church, uh, for just giving me an opportunity to be here to, to share a little bit about my life. I, I love this church. Um, even if I wasn't an elder, I would still come to this church. And I love it so much. I love serving with each and every one of you in what God is doing at Real Hope and through Real Hope. Again, thank you so much. So I grew up in Nairobi, Kenya, about 40 miles away from Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, Nairobi is the capital city of Kenya. And I was the firstborn. Uh, we are six in the family. And growing up for me as a firstborn involved Waking up in the morning at 4, 4 a.m., I would milk the cows, I would feed the cows, I would walk about two hours to drop off the milk, um, bare feet. I was actually showing my daughter um, 
the dark marks that the stones and the piercings left on my feet, she was very moved. But I would drop the milk, then head over to school. Uh, then in the afternoon, I would go back home to help with different chores. Uh, one or two afternoons would be dedicated to just fetching water because it's so far. Then another afternoon would be dedicated to doing something else, which is pretty incredible uh, when you think about it from the United States perspective of life where you have just water right there. Um, <clears throat> so life would be very hard-to-mouth type of way of doing life. My mom, who is one of my greatest heroes, made sure we went to school and we had food. So that was pretty cool. And as we continued growing up as a teenager, I remember I had this deep sense of God. But I also had this opposing side that was very rebellious and discreet. I hid it from my parents and I hid it from my friends. I did not want anyone to know. But a famous female evangelist came to visit our high school, uh, which at the time was pretty incredible to have a female uh, preaching in our culture or hold any position of leadership. And as she preached, I could feel as though God was making an appeal to my heart through her and, and saying, son, it's time to stop wavering between two opinions. And I remember that evening, I committed my life to Christ. And when I committed my life to Christ, life between me and uh, life between me and God moved very, very fast. I don't know if we had a picture of my family uh, to show real quick. Uh, that's part of my family. It's not all of us, but that's one part of my family. When I visited there, listen uh, to last year, and that's my aunt, my brothers, my sisters. So, but again, life moved very fast between me and God. Uh, I remember six of us in our local church who could speak or read some English. We started a morning Bible study and prayer. And it started growing and taking a form of fellowship. And it wasn't something planned, but I just started standing up and preaching. And that got huge opposition from the church elders. We got support from one old elder who could not hear anything we are saying, but he sat with us. He just sat there, which brought a lot of credibility. So it doesn't matter, you know. We were allowed to preach, and the fellowship just kept growing. Last year, I was invited to go and preach in the traditional and in the English morning service, which now has grown to over 1,200 members on weekly attendance. Sometimes they have to put a tent outside so that they can capture the overflow to the glory of God. So that's me there preaching uh, over there. They allowed me to put the traditional, you know, that white. They, that was like taboo. They have to lay hands on you, put your feet for you to wear that. <laughs> but they saw what God was doing, and, and that was incredible. So that's how my life was pretty much in a nutshell growing up. So why don't you tell us about a time in your life when you needed care and somebody took you in, cared for you? Well, that's a great question. I think we have a picture of my other mom right there. That's Moline Jean. You can see the striking smile, resemblance right there. 
right? <laughs> she and her husband met me about 2 a.m. in the morning in Clearwater, Florida. Earlier that day, I had arrived in Tampa to attend school in Florida. The guy that was supposed to pick me up did not show. He went MIA. They could not allow me because I took a shadow to go to the school to see how I can work this deal out. I'm confused, frustrated, hungry, angry, but praying. So I got to school. They could not allow me in because I had zero money to myself. So I walked out of the school. About where Kroger is, there is a bench because the ocean starts there, like really nice manicured lawns. And there's a bench. I sat there, and I just blacked out. Jet lag, tired, but I think the Holy Spirit just gave me sleep. And I just blacked out about 2 a.m. in the morning. That's when a cop woke me up, you know, looked my visa to cut a long story short. You know, it was like this kid is confused. He's in a suit. It's summer in Tampa. He's coming from school. He's not a threat. So he motioned me to go back to school. So as I'm walking back to school, the place where the school is well lit, Mom and her husband are walking a dog at 2 a.m. in the morning. Who does that? <laughs> and I remember so clearly she slows down and with great intuition speaks very, very slowly so I can understand what she's saying. She says, hello, dear. And I was like, this is amazing. Now, she invited me. We chat a little bit. She invited to, me to church. And through a series of what I can call supernatural divine intervention, she ended up caring for me and taking care of me for over two years. She came to my school events. She came to my graduation. She made me and Ryan, her son, do chores around the house. We did dishes. We had a job at a little restaurant. We did everything. She, she held our feet to the fire, she treated me like a son. She came to my graduation up to today. We are very, very close. Let's give her a hand. So you lived like you lived with them? Yes, I did. Yes, and wow. she helped me through school, lived with them, um, and, and transitioned in and out. And you know, I told her I'm moving here after I graduated. She still kept kept in touch. I have met her. Before we've had dinner, she's flown through Houston. Uh, we met for lunch, and um, just an incredible lady. Wow. So how did them caring for you shape your view of God? So really good question. <clears throat> you know, mom, number one, treated me like a son. Just saying hello to me the way she did would have been enough. Because I was like, okay, yeah. There's some great people in this culture. I looked very different. I could not speak American English very well at all, barely. But she took the time. You know, she had enough reasons to pass me along. But she did not. She assessed that I had value. And that's incredible. You know, she planted a seed in my heart to just dream big. She used to say, God notices you. I notice you. And I want you to notice people. And I do not want you to treat people 
based on what society says. And my faith just flourished, made me dream big. It made me believe I could have things I thought were only kept for fictional movies or just a chosen few. My confidence just began to grow, and I knew God was going to do some great things in my life. It gave me so much confidence that it was part of the reason why I was able to ask a girl like Emily out. She's pretty intimidating. She's stunning <laughs> when you look at her. But she pl my mom planted that seed. You can have anything. It's not reserved for some few. And that's part of my best part of my life is uh, we have a picture. Look at that. Standing. That's my daughter. She's turned five. And mom directly has an influence on changing my mind and believing the impossible could be possible for me. So when you look back on your life, all these experiences, what God has done um, to bring you to where you are now, is there a passage of scripture that you look at and think that that really sums up my experience or it's, um, it resonates with what God has done in my life? Yeah, absolutely, sure. It's interesting that this, this part of the story I'm about to share came up last week with our engine pastor, uh, and he was sharing something about that. But the Apostle Paul, at the time Saul, is on his way to Damascus, and he encounters Christ. A famous Jew, his name is Ananias, who was a Christian, is sent to minister to Saul. Now, Ananias is agonizing and troubled because Saul was terrorizing Christians at the time. And some of those Christians were very, very close to Ananias. But when Ananias gets to where Saul is, what does he do? Scripture says, it's recorded in um, Acts 2.13, but specific one is referenced in Acts 9, account. It says that Ananias said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And he touched him. Now, Ananias would have been forgiven to just read a barrage of accusations on what Apostle Paul had been doing. He was hurt. Some people like Stephen had been murdered under Saul's watch. But Ananias did not do that. He said, Brother Saul received your sight and he touched him. The scales fell from his eyes. I believe that at that time, Saul's spiritual eyes also opened. And the ministry of grace was forever seared in his heart. So it was one thing for Saul to hear it from Christ. It was another thing for a human being to minister that grace to him. And that was very, very powerful. And the ministry of grace was seared in Saul's Paul's heart. And we are beneficiaries of that today. Now, here is a point. I'm going to tie this with my overall message. Here's a point. Those things have been powerful to me. Whether it's a, an evangelist making an appeal to me, not ring a barrage of what I had done in the past, or my mom stopping long enough to say hi to a stranger. Those are things that I have learned to do. They have taught me to also talk to people. 
recognize people. Pay attention to them. So if you have been a victim of my high fives and big hugs, you know, just roll with it. They are well-intentioned. But I want to lay out a couple of points to bring out my message of what I want people to know. Is that the challenge for you and me is are we willing to extend those healing words to a difficult spouse, to a stranger, to a friend, to a rebellious teenager. Because here's the thing. We can heal a toxic situation when we recognize the situation. We're not sweeping it under the rug, but we minister grace. We minister grace, but we don't forget what we're dealing with. You know, here at Real Hope, there are some amazing people who give generously to affect ministries in Honduras, Common Thread, ministries in Asia, ministries all over the world. I want you to hear me. Thank you. And to you, I would say, please keep giving. You're making a big difference to people you may never meet. Some other volunteers here at Real Hope come every Sunday. They set up. They teach so that you and I and our children can learn about God. We can make meaningful relationships and connect people to Christ. And to you, I would say, keep serving. The question is, what is God asking you to do? He may not be asking you to adopt a child like some amazing people have done right here at Real Hope. He may not be asking you to bring a stranger in like my mom did, but he is asking you to do something. For those of you who are wavering between two opinions, like I was doing, I would say, would you invite him to walk alongside you and let you know what you're supposed to do? Finally, as I conclude, I want to say, I want you to know people want to be noticed. And not just when they are going through a difficult time. Here's two things. People need to serve. And very important, you need to be served. My mom used to put it this way. You can never breathe in only. <gasps> and you can never just breathe out. <sighs> You're going to die. A lake that just gives out ends up being dry and completely burnt out. And a lake that just receives ends up with dead fish. Here's the key. We must balance giving or serving, and you must never shy away from receiving and being served. So thank you so much. I am so excited to serve at this church. And again, thank you for letting me know and share a little bit about my life. Thank you, Pastor. Well said. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you, John. It was amazing. So inspiring and challenging and biblical and Christ-centered. And um, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share your story with us. Um, 
It's been very inspiring and meaningful to me uh, to hear it from you in bits and pieces over the last couple of years. I'm glad you all got to hear it now, too. I want to take just a couple of minutes um, before we kind of wrap up the service uh, to just talk about the next few weeks, what it's going to look like. We're, we just started this series, Giving Hope. This is the first week. So over the next three weeks, um, we're going to continue to deliberately look outward and think about uh, people who are in need, who have physical needs, spiritual needs, and how we can serve them. And so for the next two weeks, uh, really excited about this. Um, some of you were part of this last year. We're going to be partnering again with World Vision uh, to do the Matthew 25 Challenge, which is this amazing program they've set up where you uh, it's all done via text message, but they lead you through an experience of, of thinking about what it must be like to live in parts of the world where there's great need. And um, it was very uh, uh, challenging when I did it, when my family did it, and I know many of you did as well, and inspiring. And so uh, we want as many people in our church family as possible to participate in that. And so over the next two Sundays, we're going to be diving into the Gospel of Matthew. We're gonna, that's where we're going to be camping out in Scripture. We're going to really look at um, what the Gospel of Matthew has to say, and then we're going to be walking through this experience of the Matthew 25 challenge, which is really about a global perspective um, on faith and on need. And so that, I think, is going to be very formative for us as a church as we start this new year uh, to think outwardly that way. And then finally, in the last week, uh, uh, January 27th, it's a kind of a one-hit wonder message, sharing your faith workshop. We're going to talk about what it looks like to share your faith, to tell people about Jesus, to tell your story. We got a couple of great examples this morning from both Percy and John on how to share your story. We did not coach them on this. They just know how to do it. Um, But what does it look like in 2018 to share your faith with someone? It's actually quite different than it was even 15, 20 years ago. It is not about memorizing some script, having all the answers. It's about sharing your story and how God has worked in your life. And so we want to um, give you the tools to be able to do that, um, to talk to people meaningfully about your faith and take away some of those fear factors that prevent us from maybe being willing to do that and just give you a, a real simple set of tools to be able to do that. So that's going to be the final week of this month is this workshop on sharing your faith. So I hope you'll make it a, a priority to be here, to walk through the Matthew 25 challenge with us. Um, on that note, we're going to be sharing quite a bit on social media about Matthew 25 challenge. We'll have a, a hashtag and that kind of thing. So you can share your experiences with each other. I would encourage you to invite, um, your friends, share these posts online. Cause there are a lot of people. We saw this last year. There are a lot of people in this community and in your networks, maybe who don't even live in Houston who are looking for meaningful things like this to be a part of. And, and they would potentially want to sign up for this and, and walk through it with us. We had people from other cities do this last year, and so we can be kind of a rally point for a lot of different people to be involved in this. So just be looking for that stuff and, and be willing to share, and uh, I think God's going to do some really cool things this month as we think globally, and we also equip ourselves to be able to, to share our stories as we heard uh, this morning, and so I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this time. We thank you for the gift of your grace uh, that we we. Um, heard this morning has been so powerfully demonstrated in the lives of Percy and, and John, and we thank you for the gifts they are. Lord, you are the giver of all good gifts, and um, Percy and John are, are just precious gifts that you've given to this church family. And so we thank you for what you've done in their life. We thank you for the truth and the inspiration we can uh, draw from hearing their stories, 
And we pray that we would leave changed, Lord, that their stories would stay with us and that um, we would find ways to see the grace in our lives that you've given us. And so we thank you for this time. We love you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.